Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey, welcome back again to the Chasing Freds podcast. Um, and we have such an exciting guest this week, an old buddy of my uh, co-host, Joe Gore. We got Joe Gore here on the line. Yeah. Hi, folks. Um, yeah, it's really nice to reunite with Will. Fascinating and unique, uh, j- mostly jazz player. Um, I've known him, again, I've known him since he was a teenager um, and played with him on and off over the years. And I got to know him in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area where I lived and he grew up. But for many years now, he's been in uh, in Brooklyn and uh, been a big fixture in the um, intense uh, New York City jazz scene. Yeah. And... Oh. This first topic we're going to talk about in today's episode is reading music. And uh, I'd have a lot of students, uh, guitar students, come and ask me, um, as somebody, as myself, somebody who can read music, is it, is it worth it? You know, because is it worth learning how to read music? And I think we kind of get to the crux of it in this episode where, I mean, the short answer is it kind of depends on what kind of gigs you want. Because one of the gigs um, you guys played together was on a movie soundtrack. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, that was one of those gigs where you can't play the first bar if you don't read the score, but that kind of gig is the rare exception for, for, um, you know, me or for Will. Um, and, uh, Will and I both, uh, you know, back when we were very young, we both studied, um, you know, the same, uh, uh, elder statesman of composition, music composition at UC Berkeley, uh, never at the same time, but we, um, but we're, you know, both influenced by him and, you know, Will came out of a semi-academic background, though he was, he was playing jazz as early as, as, um, high school. And, uh, he can, he can really read, but, um, but, you know, as we all know, for all of, all of us have favorite guitar players who either didn't read or didn't use music reading in the course of their work. So, uh, like, like Jason says, that's a tough question. You know, when you, when you get a student, you know, whether you should go on the reading path or not, it's a, it's a, it's a big endeavor. And personally, I believe it's not for everybody, uh, depending, depending on your goals, Mm -hmm. but, um, but you're not here to hear. You're not here to hear me say it. Let's uh, let's let Will talk about yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, Will also has a new record uh, that just came out not too long ago called Freelance Subversives, which is a a really cool, hip, funky kind of funky jam jazz record that uh, that kind of of all of his catalog. Those are the records and the bands and the sounds from him that I tend to tend to gravitate towards. So I would highly encourage you to go check that record out. So uh, now we'll get to it. So here's us talking with Will Bernard. And uh, we 
have one of uh, Joe's old friends joining us this week, uh, Mr. Will Bernard. Will, welcome to the podcast. Hey, pleasure to be here. So uh, we were brainstorming ideas, and one idea that kind of came to mind when Joe and I was talking, because he mentioned he mentioned two of, two uh, places where your, your, your past, Joe and Will, your past had, had crossed. One was uh, recently at a movie scoring session. You guys both yes. played on a soundtrack, right? Yes. And another one was, and I'd love to hear Joe tell the full story, is, uh, or if Will remembers, I'm sure he probably does, is when Joe kind of first sat in with your band, I don't know, I'm considering a while ago, and, <laughs> yes. and he said you had these crazy charts. And the thing that kind of tied those two crossroad points together was the fact that you both excellent mu- music can read music. And for guitar players, that's kind of a rare uh, at least to do it at a, at a at a professional level, it's kind of a rare trait. So I'm really interested in hearing both of you guys talk about uh, your process for how you kind of got into that and where you feel it fits within uh, within your playing and, and what kind of doors also it's opened over the years. But Joe, can you tell me first, kind of reiterate that story about you sitting in? Oh, just with that Will's band. It, um, it's you know Will and Will and I both went to uh, had part of our education at UC Berkeley. We we even studied from. Uh, you know the same great composer Andrew Imbry, but but at uh, at different times we were never classmates together. But when I was living in Berkeley, um, I went to audition with Will's band, and um, as I say, as they say, uh, they decided to go in another direction. <laughs> but I got a really a early glimpse at you know Will's composition and musicianship because here's a guy who's barely in his twenties, and when you went into play, not only were they reading music, it wasn't lead sheets; it was like scores you know, with each instrument written out. And um, it was just a remarkable level of uh, music and compositional sophistication for such a for such a young player. Will's a couple of years younger than me. And, uh, you know, ever since then, I've been impressed by um, the depths of Will's technical knowledge and skill, along with the ingenuity and soulfulness of his playing. But Will made a very strong and early impression on me. Even if he wouldn't let me in his band, damn it. <laughs> oh, it, it always comes back, huh? These things. Yeah, I'm never going to forgive you. I'm thinking of putting that on my tombstone. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we were actually in school at the same time, but you were a graduate student and I was a maybe a senior. Um, but I remember hanging out with you in the school. And I remember specifically a, a, a guitar-recorded electronic composition that you have uh, had performed at a senior recital or a graduate recital. Well, your memory's better than mine. It was it was like a uh, a tape piece that you did for guitar. It was very impressive. It was all all the sounds were a guitar. Will one of the things that most fascinates me about you as a player is how, on one hand, you're a very intellectually rigorous, academically trained musician who knows exactly what note he's playing at any given moment and its melodic and harmonic significance. But on the other hand, nobody who's ever listened to you would call you an egghead, math head type of guitar player. You spent a lot of time in New Orleans. You're a great groove and funk player. And uh, I've always really admired how that intellect in the um, down-home feel exists so vibrantly in your vocabulary. Well, um, I, I, I think what really got me reading on guitar was I, I, I took uh, a lot of lessons with David, Dave Creamer. 
jazz, uh, phenomenal jazz guitarist that taught a lot of people in the Bay Area, and he played with Miles Davis uh, on uh, on the corner. He's still uh, doing amazing things. He just put out a 880-page uh, book on octatonic scales. Yes, I, I really want a copy. So he had this uh, pretty intense approach, and he... You know, he really made me work hard. Uh, first, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a very good reader, and then he, uh, you know, he would play a, some kind of licks, and I'd have to learn them, and he'd just make me play them over and over and over again. And eventually, I started being able to read better, so he put put it out, and I'd be able to read it. Yeah, it really helped. And then uh, I studied classical guitar for a while when I first went to school at SF State, and I felt like the kind of the for me the repertoire wasn't that great for like classical guitar so I sort of got I, I, I felt I should play piano you know work on my piano more just mm. to become a composer and uh, you know be able to read scores and, and write my own stuff when I was at UC Berkeley that's what more what I was concentrating on <clears throat> was piano and, and uh, I wasn't even playing guitar that much when I was there that I had the completely parallel path of you start out enthusiastic about classical guitar, and then you start learning more about composition and musical analysis, and then you start to realize the classical guitar repertoire, while very pleasant, is pretty <laughs> darn thin. Yeah, you know, and if you're going to get serious into composition, guitar can recede pretty quickly. I mean, I think it's probably different now. Years later, I'm sure there's much bigger repertoire, and and more people have kind of. Uh, you know, incorporated different styles of music into into guitar playing. So it's it wasn't as thin. I mean, it's I doubt it's as thin as it was then. But you know, we mm -hmm. there was like guys like Leo Brower. I was really into. Yeah, great Cuban composer. Cuban composer, and uh, you know, there's the Julian Bream uh, modern guitar record with mm -hmm. Henza, Henza and all these composers that had written like one piece for guitar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, try to track down the pieces with guitar you know there's there weren't that many so you both were kind of uh was reading music a, a byproduct of your time in in college like you just in order to do what you 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 wanted to do you just had to there was no way around it. you just had to learn how to read music it wasn't because uh you said yes to a gig and then realized oh shoot i'm gonna need to read music for that gig i need to brush up on that in order to play this gig well there's i mean I did have, a, I, you know, when I was studying with Creamer, one of my goals was to get into the Berkeley High Jazz Band, which, because uh, I was pretty into, I was getting into jazz at that point, and uh, I was hanging out with Stephen Bernstein and uh, Peter Applebaum and these guys um, that were playing yeah, I mean, at we very should, we should incredibly high level, you know, with that at, for a young age. And, I was going to say, when you say Berkeley High Jazz Ensemble, you're not talking your typical high school jazz ensemble. You know, the number of, the number of, of meaningful musicians that came out of that one high school program in a medium-sized city is kind of astonishing. Well, you met, you know, you, Peter Applebaum, you know. There's a huge, um, huge list that keeps, keeps going, you know. It's, it's still yeah, happening very, now. Very, very fabulous a music department that's produced mm -hmm. a lot of great players. Um, and I, I still play with many of the people I was, you know, I still play with Stephen Bernstein. I still play with, with, uh, Peter and Peck Allman and many of the people that I was in the high school band with. So, uh, so that was a big, that was kind of like getting a gig and trying to 
to get better at reading and be able to do the gig, you know. That's a one way of thinking about that. Do you remember some of the techniques you used to improve your your reading chops? Was it just by sheer brute force? You just sat down with a piece of music or pieces of music and just worked through it until you felt like you were getting better? Yeah, well, there's, um, first of all, it was Dave Creamer who had all these, ex- you know, every time I'd go there, he'd give me a new exercise and some of them were pretty diff- technically challenging, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, sweet picking and uh, a lot of intervallic skipping around fifths and, diff- you know, different intervallic uh, stuff. He was even into 12-tone writing. He's writing, thinking about 12-tone for jazz guitar. Mm. So he had all these crazy exercises he had written a lot of it. Then I had a good friend in high school and we, uh, we started, he was a piano player that moved there from the East coast. And his father was the uh, general manager of KSAN radio. So we would, we, we became fast friends and we would get together almost every day and practice. And he brought a real book, the first real book, you know, from, cause he was from Massachusetts. And the first real book was like a Berkeley college of music fake book that you could only buy out of the back of a somebody's car, you know, at that point. Very shady. Yeah. So he had he had one and I got one and we would just sit and uh, go through it, you know, and what's this song sound like, you know, and try to play all these songs like Steve Swallow's Hello Bolinas and, you know. <laughs> or Falling Grace or. Yeah, all those tunes, mm-hmm. you know. Hmm. So that was like, you know, just try to read, you know, sit yourself in front of some music and try to read it. You know? And then, of course, in, in college, like, for instance, Andrew Embry, our, our uh, composition teacher, I took, somehow I convinced, convinced him to give me private lessons when I went to UC, which he didn't normally do for undergraduates. But these guys would make me read through my scores on the piano, you know, him and my other uh, composition teacher at SS State. So Yeah, the big thing I hear guitar players ask me about reading music is, it's all good, and you have the 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 assignments, or you're taking lessons when you when you get to the through college, or even like you were in high school taking lessons. And then once you kind of get out into the real world and start to get gigs, if you're a jazz or jazz guitar player, let's say, or even a rock or, a rock or blues guitar player, the, it, you don't necessarily need to read on the gig as much, you know, because maybe you're just playing a casual gig and they're just calling out standards and you're playing them. Over the years, what have been some some points where you've had to focus on developing reading as a skill in order to have a gig at a professional level? Uh, well, um, it's funny because when I first started uh, like playing with going to New Orleans and playing with these people that are involved with the jam, like the jam band scene and the New Orleans scene, like nobody reads on those gigs, you know, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I was developing a, a different side of, of, you know, just more ear stuff. So I, there was a lot of times when I, in the last 15 years where I've really been working more on ear, which is a whole nother thing. Like, I think when you learn to read well, you can't, you, there's a danger of losing that um, ability to memorize and, and internalize things by ear. So that's, that's been a, that was actually a little bit more of a challenge. And also playing a lot of gigs uh, around town in New York. I was just playing more jazz tunes that everybody knows, and I didn't really know a lot of them. So, I mean, I played them by reading them, but I, you know, I did a lot of memorization. So um, to get back to your question, I mean, 
in the last few years, there's been uh, situations like I, I was subbing on Broadway. I subbed on this uh, show Memphis for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think I've ever been as terrified as, as just going in. <laughs> no rehearsal and just have to get on the stage. It was on, you know, it was on the stage band. And I had to play the first like uh, opening lick, you know. Uh, the whole show, you you had to kick off the whole show. Yep, yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right tempo, everything, you know. And uh, these guys have been doing the show for years. It's really I, I appreciated the challenge, you know. And I, I was like, hey, you know, all this reading I've been doing. That's a good example of where, you know, I'm actually ahead of the game, you know, for a lot of guitar players, I think. Mm-hmm. In these kind of situations, and uh, and then recently I've been playing with Clubfoot Orchestra the last few years in San Francisco. What's the Clubfoot Orchestra? This is a group that uh, was founded in San Francisco in the mid '80s, and uh, I was always a fan, and I always wanted to be in it, and only just recently started playing with them. But they, what they do is they they've written a lot of scores to uh, silent films over the years, and uh, mm. I think one of the first groups. That, uh, that did did this, um, They're like Nosferatu and uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis and things like that. Um, I know Joe, you must. I'm surprised you. Yeah, never- just I've no, I'm 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 a little bit jealous. You know, Clubfoot's done amazing stuff, and like Will says, you know, the soundtrack has really become a focus over the years, and. Um, they're doing, you know, to to explain it more clearly, they they will take a silent film like you know Nosferatu, which might have a 70, 80 minute runtime or longer, and you know write a start to finish continuous score, just as a you know classic film composer might. Hmm. Um, but that's a that's a gigantic amount of composed music to you know to orchestrate and notate and you know rehearse enough to perform it, and uh, it's it's beautiful ambitious product projects beautifully realized so um, yeah. i'm a little jealous <laughs> and then do they put recordings of these do they release recordings of these or yeah they have and i think mm-hmm. um there's a lot of stuff on youtube um some really good videos on youtube of them back in the day when they're prime not that they're in their not they're in their prime now but they don't play very often but they did a uh, one of the most challenging reading things maybe i've done in a long time is they did at the Castro, uh, was it last year or year before? They did a 35-year anniversary concert where they did uh, almost a, like a good quantity of the movies that they've done. They did uh, two, uh, three separate uh, performances, you know, of different, each one having different movies. And the last one being uh, Metropolis, um, which is, I think, their most ambitious one. And it was uh, just so much reading and following a conductor, you know. Yeah. It really kicked yeah, my any, butt. <laughs> anytime I've been in, uh, I do a fair amount of like pit musical work around town and, and obviously it changes from show to show, but there'll be times where, okay, I feel like I have the dots on the page I can, and work out, but it's the matter, maybe this was the case also with you in Memphis. It's the matter of syncing that up with a real life person who from night to night could be doing things slightly differently. And for good reason, they want to keep it in sync with the actors and everything on stage. But that to me is like such its own skill following a conductor as a guitar player, because we don't have that experience. Yeah. Even in, even in high school and college jazz bands, you know, I'll either see 
them kind of just doing a standard swing pattern, or a lot of times conductors will kick off the tune and then just walk to the side of the stage and let the band take over, you know, yeah. and we just, we just play. Yeah. I mean, in the case of, uh, Memphis, like everybody in the band had uh, headphones and, uh, the uh, band the MD was the keyboard player which, and he was fairly close by. So you could, you could follow him pretty easy. It wasn't like following yeah. a conductor, <laughs> but clubfoot is di more difficult because kind of in the back with the rhythm section and then there's you have to look fairly far away to see the conductor and you're looking at the film over to right side at the same time you know so i found that challenging as joe said i'm, I'm the more i'm learning about this i'm kind of getting slightly jealous too that i would love to do. well it's a culture <laughs> thing too because if you know if we were trumpet players we would have been we would have been in grade school and middle school acquiring the habit of of playing in sync with the conductor and yeah you know, you, you, Jason, you mentioned you know jazz ensemble or so forth, but you know, for most of most of us guitar players, we we learned to play mostly you know sitting on our bed hiding from our parents. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you don't necessarily have that kind of we we don't necessarily have the kind of uh, the specific kind of ensemble playing experience that a lot of people who grew up playing band or orchestral instruments have. Right, and and uh, another thing I've. Over the last years, uh, Stephen Bernstein has a group called a Millennial, Millennial Territory Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Which which morphed into the uh, Butler Bernstein and the Hot Nine. Mm -hmm. So I was one of three guitarists doing that gig. Uh, Matt Munisteri and uh, Doug Womble were like the first call guys, and have been doing it, you know, before I moved here. But gotten to do a lot of great gigs with that with that group. I say that group, even though it's two separate groups, but basically the same, same ensemble, uh, which is like a nine, nine, 10 piece group. So yeah, one of the things that Steve liked about having me in the group is that I could read really well. You know? Oh, anytime, uh, and I've noticed it here, even in, in, in Iowa, anytime the word gets out amongst a certain group of people that there's a guitar player in town that can read music, <laughs> like you become a little bit more popular for certain gigs, you know? <laughs> Well, one thought, one thought about reading, and I don't, you know, I don't want to speak for Will, but you know, because we share so many common roots, I wonder if this is part of your experience at all, that even in a world where much of the time reading isn't part of the gig, and in this conversation we're talking gig, 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 when you have the reading gig on Broadway, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, obviously many guitar players have long careers without reading anything. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always struck me that one of the best benefits of being a reader um, is that it allows you to conceptualize things that you can't yet play yet. Uh, you could, it, learning to read and write music gives you an ability to think about music in abstract terms, and you can compose something that doesn't exist yet, that your hands can't quite do yet. And for non-reading guitarists, there's more of a tendency to compose from muscle memory out and, you know, once you have, you know, uh, reading and music theory skills, it can work the other way around. You can conceive of something in your head, something on paper, and then come back and say, all right, how are we going to manage to play this? And there's yeah. a certain freedom in that, I think. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's quite true. Mm -hmm. It's a different way of composing, too, I think. Like, I, I keep sketchbooks where I write things in, you know, and... Uh, I, I just have a habit. If I come up with something, the first thing I want to do is write it down. It's a, a long habit I've had. I think that's another way I've learned how to read better, too, is trying to write down my ideas. 
to bring this into uh, so your latest record, Freelance Subversives, as Joe was saying earlier, it sounds it sounds it's really it's a super soulful, funky record. And to hop on to agree with what Joe said, it's it's hard to hear all the academic work you've put in over the years when it when <laughs> when you hear a record like this because you don't hear you know it's not like you're hearing metric modulations in this stuff. Yeah, Will when doesn't you go, play like a brainiac. <laughs> when you go in for a record date like that, uh, do you? What kind of written material do you present to to the band when you go do that? Is it is it just simple lead sheets? Is it something more in depth? Are there? Do you write parts for certain people, or do you let them kind of have the freedom to come up with their parts? Or how did that kind of work out for this record? It's mostly lead lead sheets, you know, uh, bass. Mm-hmm bass part a lot of times i'll write bass parts um and then chords and melody um and in new york like most people can read that i play with very well you know i would say there's probably a lot of guitar players that are better readers than i am here but um so and a lot of times we have not that much time to get things together. So, you know, I'll write, I'll write charts. I use finale usually and I'll write charts and print them out. And usually there's a lot of mis- mistakes that I have to, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. We go back to the a section and uh, form is writing forms on charts can be difficult. I think sometimes for me, yeah. um, but that's, you know, we work them out at rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And then just go in and knock it out. Um, yeah. Um, the guys in the band, uh, <clears throat> the last session we did uh, is uh, bass player Ben Zwerin that I've been working a lot with. And he, he's, uh, he's been touring with Angelique Kijo and with Liz Wright with Adam Levy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a, you know, a lot of different bags to draw from. But, hmm. um, and he's, he's been helping me a lot. Um, we, uh, sorry, we, uh, we have a new project actually with Teddy Cumble and Ben and uh, Aaron Johnston. That we, and we've been making, uh, you know, videos since we're all just at home. We've been putting these videos together and writing songs together that way. Uh, and then the drummer, the drummer uh, is uh, on that record is Eric Kalb, who I've been playing with ever since I moved to uh, New York. One of the funkiest left-handed drummers I know. Yeah, <laughs> he's one of my very good friends. And- so to wrap up uh, this episode, what advice? And I'd love to hear both Joe and Will answer this. What advice would you give to maybe a a, a novice guitar player who wants, who feels like reading music is just too intimidating? Well, I mean. Nowadays, there's so much uh, stuff online, YouTube, and a lot of examples are, are written. And I see there's a lot of written music out there that people can see online, download, whatever. It's, it's very accessible now, but maybe it wasn't as much when we were young. I feel like just diving in and just you just sit, sit there and take a piece of music and just sit there and try to get whatever you can out of it, you know, and... Try uh, try it slow. I mean, don't worry about trying to play it perfectly. Just, uh, you know, I think I had a routine of just a sight reading routine that I do every day. Like, aside from my general practicing, I would just have a time where I would just try to 
hack through with whatever, some kind of music, you know. And I think that was pretty invaluable. Joe, what would you say? Well, it's a, it's a tough one. And I think that the decision about teaching reading or not teaching reading is one of the most profound and difficult instructions for an instructor to make. Um, my attitude is I don't think it's the path for everybody. And, um, you know, Will exists in a world where it's all about reading. You know, I don't, I, I'm not a jazz world denizen and I'm more, you know, coming from a, you know, rock and primitive sort of perspective. And very few of my favorite guitar players are readers. I'm glad I read, but it, it's not the right path for everybody. And for some people, I don't think it's time well spent. But on the other hand, it, especially if you're an experienced player working with a, a student or a less experienced player, you run the danger of doing that thing that used to happen in public education a lot, where they would sort of uh, route kids towards you know professional careers or trade careers based on you, you know who they were, or the class they came from when they were still very young. And they were kind of channeled down one path or another, you know, far too soon before they'd had a chance to come into their own as a musician and thinker and decide what was right for them. Mm -hmm. So it's tough. I mean, I wouldn't want to condemn a student to a future of non-reading and close that door for them. But on the other hand, it's, you know, it doesn't come up that much professionally. I think it's important for the reason I mentioned conceptually. Uh, Will is focusing in on one very specific corner of the guitar universe where reading is an essential skill. Playing in pit bands, playing in soundtracks, uh, you know, walking into jazz gigs and being able to read charts, you know, without a rehearsal. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if you're flying in that uh, strata, um, yeah, no question about it. And you've got to use whatever means necessary to um, acquire that skill. Um, uh, that's a long-winded way of saying, God, it depends case by case. And it's a, it's a tough decision for both teacher and student. Yeah, but one right. one example I was thinking about was uh, people who learn from reading guitar magazines, like your guitar magazine. Uh, I mean, a lot of the examples are are written in in regular notation or tab. So, I mean, for me, looking at tab is almost as hard as reading music. You know, it's like a skill. I feel it's kind of like a skill to read tab. I think it's a, well. It's a lot harder because you have to guess. I mean, because tab doesn't tab is very very good at teaching you the pitches and the order in which they occur, but it tells you nothing about rhythm or articulation. And yeah. uh, it's a. Uh, I find reading tab really hard. Yeah, me too. And you know, I feel like well, if you can, if you're going to spend the time trying to learn how to read tab, why not learn regular notation? See, and that was that was I am I generation i read tab way before and i could read tab super fluently before i even thought about learning how to read music but i started as a music major in college not knowing a single how to read a single note of music and i remember my first assignment in freshman theory was write out all the major scales and 12 keys and i remember just putting my head in my hands and saying this this is not <laughs> this is not for me you yeah. know what i mean but but I well, just, you're not alone. You're not alone in that experience, man. Thousands yeah. of, I mean, untold number of, um, you know, especially students who are making a transition from playing in a pop idiom, you know, they're the best, uh, you know, they're the best, uh, you know, uh, hot guitar soloist in high school, and then yeah, mm -hmm. then okay, can you write all, uh, you know, you know, major uh, and three forms of minor scale in all twelve keys, and that's a that's a that's well, many people have. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, foundered on those shoals. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I learned present a whole bunch company accepted. <laughs> well, I learned a whole bunch today, uh, fellas, from from getting nerdy and talking about reading music. So we're gonna be back later this week with a couple more episodes with Will. So make sure to tune in, and we'll see you later. <laughs> Thank you.